our children and I are reading her for a fantastic book at night called The Wing Feather Saga. It's written by Andrew Peterson, a wonderful Christian songwriter. Uh, some of you probably on Caleb have heard He is Worthy. He sold the rights to that song to Chris Tomlin, so you'll hear Chris Tomlin singing it. But he is <clears throat> wonderful. Falcon and I danced to a song at our wedding uh, by Andrew Peterson. And <clears throat> this series, I want to open up with an introduction and reading a couple portions from this book because it'll give you an, uh, an insight or a, a, I think a good picture into culture in a negative way. And really what we're talking about in the series, this super mi- short mini-series, is now going to be centered on the, the home and the culture that needs to be developed there and here. <clears throat> Just for a little bit of context as you think about this and hold this picture in your mind, which is great and vivid. Um, Just the context in the book that you need to know is Janner, one of the main characters, is captured and sent to a place called the Fork Factory, which is essentially a place of child slave labor. And here is a few days worth of time, just in a few short quotes. And this will get you in... The overseer, still wearing his top hat, appeared above Janner. He was grinning wickedly and pinched Janner's cheek between his thumb and forefinger. Welcome, boy, he said. A healthy face you have. Mobrick, untie him. I want to see his arms and hands. I believe we have someone to replace the sluggish Nubis girl at the pairing station. Mobrick untied Janner. Yes, Good arms, good hands. Allow me to greet you properly, child. He dropped to one knee and removed his hat and ran his fingers through his greasy hair. I am the overseer. You are a tool in my factory. No different from a hammer or a rake. The difference is unlike a hammer, I have to feed your greedy face to keep you alive. Did you enjoy the ride here? Yes, sir, Janner said. Mobrick chuckled. What did you say? asked the overseer. I said, yes, sir. The overseer punched Janner in the stomach. Stars filled his vision and tears welled up and he struggled for air. Tell him, the overseer said to Mobrick as he stood and donned his hat with great care. Mobrick stooped over Janner and smiled. Tools don't speak. They nod like this. Mobrick nodded his tiny head up and down or they shake like this. He shook his head from side to side. He ended up responding, and there's a little bit of dialogue in between. He says, good, a fast learner. The finest tools are fast learners. A little bit later on, we also hear these words here. Janner, in encountering the other children, sat at the table, and a boy placed his a bowl and a spoon before him along with a cup of water. No one looked at him. No one spoke. Only the sound was a chorus of hungry slurps from 20 children or so at the table. Janner cleared his throat. Hello? He waited for an answer. A few of the children glanced up at him, but kept eating without a word. My name's Espen. Espen uh, Flavigal. Just got here. We can see that, said a boy directly across from him. The boy raised his bowl to his mouth and sucked up the last drops of soup. You'll find there's not much to talk about after a while. What's your name? Doesn't matter. I'm a tool just like you. Janner rolled his eyes. I'm not a tool. The boy shrugged and left the table. And lastly, so that you have a a picture of this, this is the third day. He couldn't imagine spending another day in the factory. His hands hurt. His back was tired. He hadn't seen the sun in days. He missed his family desperately, and most of all, he could feel his mind shrinking. There was nothing to talk about, laugh about, or think about except the machines. Every child who crossed his path frightened Janner more, because he knew that if he remained in the fork factory for long, he too would forget who he was. His eyes would glaze over, he would pass his days in mindless repetition, never thinking, never dreaming, forgetting that a wide, bright world lay outside. So this is a picture that I want you to hold in your mind 
because I feel that it can describe many in their Christian experience and bunches of cultures that have developed in the church. I, I want you to think about this in terms of the culture of the world generally and the culture of the, the church and of your home and uh, you who are in the kingdom of God uh, as, as two different things. But there is a problem often is that our churches or our homes can be largely conformed or uh, have the prevailing culture, fork factory culture in those places. And this is evidence when you look at the liturgy of the church. Often you'll go into a typical Baptist church and music looks extremely sappy. Sounds like Jesus is some boyfriend or so. They have lyric, they're lyrically shallow. They turn down the lights. Uh, for the personal experience between you and Jesus. Or when you get to the sermon, you have a 20-minute motivational speech, a TED Talk, as it were, or a seriously truncated gospel on repeat. Certainly, don't tell the people about their sins or rail at our sins. At the culture sins, yeah, tell them all about them, those bad people, not us. Everything done in the typical model sadly, of church is to benefit a Christian consumer who passively receives spiritual goods and services and yet is not a participant in the worship of the church. But my aim to pastor here is not to be conformed to like a fork factory culture, as it were, a degraded form of Christianity, but, but rather to start a modern reformation in so much as the Lord is gracious. Uh, I would love to see this country and our churches and, and homes to shine the glory of God and displace anything from the fork factory from which we came. Let it not be a part of our experience. This is where we came from. We are children of God. We are in covenant with the living God. Our culture is supposed to be strikingly different. And in the series so far, what we've seen from Genesis as we've kind of hopped along into Ephesians, <clears throat> this mini-series is coming to an end. And I hope that if you've missed a sermon, you'd go back and listen. And I intend to make a specific application, which is really where <clears throat> we're going in the home. And this is where we're landing. Chapter 6 is in the home, and I'm going to make much to do about verse 4 and particular applications that I have for you men. But <clears throat> as we think about the home, and I was looking at children this week, it is very significant for us to think very clearly about what the kingdom of God looks like, what the church experience for us is supposed to look like. What, what is the place of children in the church and at the home? So we're here in, in church, and so we're going to think of a little bit about that, and then we're going to go home and live out these principles. And so <clears throat> the first thing that we must notice in connection with the text today, Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, Obey your parents in the Lord. Now, it is profound and simple. It's, it's striking and wonderful that the Apostle Paul directly addresses children. This, as you know, is a letter that was written to the Ephesian churches, uh, the Ephesian church, and it would have been a circular letter. It is one that was going to be read because it's scripture. And in fact, this would become the preaching material for the church. And every time this was read and preached, there'd be a time in the preaching where children were addressed directly. Not parents to go tell their children these things, but rather in the midst of the people of God were those infants and toddlers and older kids. So, Scripture and the writers of Scripture assume the participation of little ones in the congregation. Further, as, oh, excuse me, 
jump down in my notes a little bit. Um, we see that there is a design of God here. If we believe that the scriptures are sufficient for us today, so many thousands of years later, we, we do believe that God tells us everything that is necessary. And if there's an expectation from the apostles that the children are here, then we so should expect the children to be here. So where do children belong? Well, they, they belong in the congregation. We should understand that it is not uncommon for little children, four or five, to come to saving faith in Christ and have a credible profession of faith in Christ. Though I do say that kids are able to come to a saving faith earlier than that, though they might not be able to articulate it and we might not baptize them yet. Um, in the case of believing children, no doubt they belong with their parents in the midst of the rest of their brothers and sisters in Christ. It is no doubt that they are part of the people of God because they have personally uh, received Christ Jesus and been added to his body. They are not to be cut off or cordoned off from the rest of the body. So some may say to this, well, what about, what about unbelieving children then? And I would just reply, well, Paul doesn't make those sorts of distinctions. He just rather says children. He expects all of our kids to be in here with the people of God next to their parents. They are, in this sense, a part of the new covenant community. In fact, they are holy. They are set apart unto God. This doesn't mean that they are regenerate or free from the corruption of sin or something like that. I'm just speaking in terms of how 1 Corinthians 7 talks about children. If you have one believing parent, the whole family is holy. There is a, uh, a sense in which we are, as, as those who experience the special grace of God towards his elect people, everybody else is affected and influenced. They have the privilege of hearing the gospel. They have the blessings of of close proximity to God's grace. You can see this throughout the book of Hebrews if you want to go look too. Um, but children have been granted surpassing blessing both in the church and in the home here through the access to the righteous deeds and worship of the saints. They sit under reverent prayers, faithful preaching of the gospel, the right administration of the ordinances and lots and lots and lots of scripture in this service. <clears throat> As a Reformed Baptist, I just must qualify that children are holy and set apart in a special place uh, in the congregation, though we apply the signs of the new covenant once they have undergone the regenerating work of the spirit and, be, and been united by faith to Christ Jesus and, and personally enter into the new covenant. That's how Christ communicates the benefits of redemption. So it should be staple in the understanding. What kind of culture do we have? Well, you should contrast the typical Baptist church culture, since that's who we are, conservative Baptist church culture and American culture to what you're seeing here in Scripture. They are different. And it should be staple in our understanding that present in the congregations are cries and wiggling and squirming and things like that. <clears throat> it is a biblical and joyful necessity to have children in the service. It's not mere preference. It's not you could take it or leave it. It is assumed and should be understood tantamount to a command for us. So <clears throat> this makes us a biblically family integrated, you may not have heard that word before, before, but family integrated church. What should be evident to you in the next sermons, hopefully, is that Christianity is not an individualistic religion. It is a family religion. It is a national religion. It's a corporate thing. It goes way beyond our personal experience. It is meant to be in the midst of a people influenced by God and changed in all that they do. Most Baptist evangelicals, there are plenty who have come through our doors in the coming 
uh, in the following, in the, how do I say this, in the past couple of years since I've been here. And they may commend us like, wow, you have your kids in the service. Oh, that's great. But they're not willing to join us. They say, oh, because it's, it's just too hard. Or our culture can't handle that. Can't, can't we make a different exception? And this is fork factory culture. This is the culture of the world speaking, not the culture that comes from the scriptures. Now, I want you to prepare yourself a little bit for this word because it may land on some of you hard. I don't know all of your experiences, but I know where generally we've been in evangelicalism, and this may sound hard to some of you, um, but I hope is publicly evident, whether I sit with you and talk with you and, uh, or before God and I, I pray for you. I, I love you. I, I say this to you and to me and to us. I don't condemn any other church for being in error at this point, but I do indict lots and lots and lots of churches for being in error on this point. And it's a serious one that, that I think needs to be addressed. M- many churches, I can, most that I can think of off the top of my head, will advertise children's programs during service. They say, look at these great programs that we have. For children, for your children, this, this allows you to fully engage with the Lord during the service. Lots of churches even will try to take your kids from you and say, oh, they, they belong over here in this other room. Uh, you drop them off there and, and then you come into the service here. Or maybe once you're in the service to say, oh, hey, don't you know we have this over here for your kids? Trying to get you to <clears throat> send them away somewhere else. This not This must not be an area of boasting for churches, but an area of repentance, an area of sackcloth and ashes. It is to treat children as insignificant and lesser. It is to push them away from the ordinary means of grace. The Bible knows absolutely nothing about children's church, knows nothing about hipster church or alcoholics church or men's or ladies churches and knows nothing about cowboy churches. Though I would say that if that's your demographic, well, okay, that's one thing. But uh, we are so used to marketing people. I have friends who, <laughs> who don't want to talk about this with me, but essentially they, they are into marketing towards a particular person and they want some particular demographic of people to come to their church or to reach those particular people. It's not bad to want to reach each and every person, but just not to the exclusion of anybody else. And the Bible, as it speaks, knows no such thing of segregated churches this way. Rather, there's only one corporate church gathering. Even in places that have children's programs, they, this is not the gathering of the church This is the gathering of the church in scripture is all the people all together from young to old. Children's programming, even if it's really good, is no more than glorified Sunday school. It is not church. That means children in lots of ways, because they have not sit under the preaching of the word, the prayers of the saints, the corporate liturgy, And the administration of the ordinances, even if they're believers, many children have grown up in Christian homes, never having gone to church at all until they're adults. They have been in some other sort of side program for 16 to 18 years. This is very common, even for believing children. And I do believe that lots of churches in the past have been duped by this and are currently However, what happens over and over again, I'm a product of this, and I ran a youth group and became very aware of this fact that it is common in those churches for children to, once they reach adulthood, to begin attending with the adults, as it were, but eventually they leave. Or they never really establish a consistent membership or attendance. Well, why? It's because for 16 to 18 years, they were trained not to value the corporate worship of the church. They were taught 
that they didn't belong, nor that they needed to conform to God's ways. It's good to be a sheep. It's very good to be a sheep in in Christ's pasture. We're not to be individuals in this sense. We are to be conformed to what God authorizes in worship. We should not say from our mouths anything like, they can do the fun games and lessons over there while the parents do the boring stuff over here. Sometimes I've heard it talked about that way, but I wouldn't ever degrade the Lord's service that way as to say meeting and fellowshipping in an authorized way with the living God is in any way boring. God forbid. Many say, I've heard personally, I haven't gone to the corporate worship my whole life. I'm doing just fine with my personal relationship with Jesus. How do you argue if you've put them in a corner for that many years? Church, what we are required to do is to worship the Lord every Lord's Day, barring a providential hindrance. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, right? Is it not so that the Lord peculiarly and specially manifests his presence among us in the liturgy? This is why David and many other psalmists can lament heavily while not being able to participate with the congregation of the Lord. He is enthroned on the praises of Israel, not just the praise of a single psalmist or something like that. He is engaged with his people so that Jesus can say, where two or more are gathered, there I am in their midst. Or John, though he has the spirit of the Lord in himself, is in the spirit on the Lord's day in Revelation. And that's something significant and different, peculiar. And certainly in what we confess today, the reformed heritage of Baptists and Presbyterians and the like agree that there is an ordinary means of grace which communicates Christ's redemption. And it occurs here prominently because that's what we do. That description that we read and confess is simply what we gather together for in the first place. That's why we're here. So in a sense, in a real true sense, when we come to service, we come to Jesus. And so I think it's appropriate to say if we forbid children to come, we'll fall under the same indignation as the disciples when Jesus said, let the children, little children come to me. And by the way, he's speaking of infants. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder for such belongs the kingdom of God. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. For me, this is a make or break issue. If this was ever encouraged as a culture in this church, I would think it is influenced by fork factories outside and it has gotten into the DNA and I'm no longer the pastor here. This is how serious this is for myself. Congregations, if I were to walk into a congregation like this, my instant reaction is to say, I don't think these people know what they're doing. I don't think they know what Christianity is. I'm not sure that they have the fuzziest idea why they gather here or what children are for. Children are here because they've been made holy by us and they are to learn the ways of the Lord. And there are great promises in scripture I'll bring up next time that says we should expect their salvation. But congregations are not individualic, uh, individualistic. They're, they're familial. They're groups of families who come and serve the Lord together. And this is the kind of culture we should have. One where we are inclusive of all young children. So let's say, just hypothetically, there was a service. I'd even be okay with Autumn being in here. Uh, and all the little babies. Let's say there was a, a church around here, a young church. They had lots of little infants. And we added instantly 20, 20 little babies all crying at the same time. I wouldn't flinch. You might flinch. I wouldn't flinch. All I would do is smile from my pulpit up here and say, the kingdom of God is growing. This is beautiful. And we should have that same disposition, though it's counterintuitive, even in the church. 
<clears throat> at large. So that's the first point. That's all for you adults. And now I'm actually going to turn to all the kids in the room. And some, some are not here today, but nonetheless, Elias and, and Freddie and the Kaler kids and Isaiah. Isaiah's sleeping. That's okay. In the presence of the Lord. Oh, you're not? Okay. And Mackenzie, nice to see you kids. I'm directing all of my attention at you now from the, for the rest of the sermon. And so um, it, this, all these scriptures are from God to you. Okay, and I will address you. <clears throat> Let us read this text. Let me read this text to you, kids. It says, in the Shemese kids, I see you over there, Ashton. I didn't forget you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So first thing, kids, I know that not everything I say up here is understandable. Some of our adults don't understand. Sometimes I don't even understand when I listen back. I'm like, could have said that better. However, we just thank you. We thank God for you and are so glad that you're here with us and that you worship with us. These truths of the scriptures, as hard as they can be at times, are as much yours as they are mine. They're for you. You have a privilege of hearing what God says. And now this truth here is one of those more simple ones that's directed at you and that you've probably heard tons of times from your mom and dad. But remember here, it is God's command. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So kids, obedience is not just your duty to your parents. It's actually your duty to God. This is the thing that God expects of you. It's the thing that God has made you for. God has ordained that children like you would worship him. He desires praise to come from you. And that in a particular way. Why do you think you have been given Christian parents? Why do you think you are in Christian homes? Is it not so that you would know God and would praise him and worship him and not be caught up in idols? You have a special privilege of being raised in a Christian family and being blessed because God makes his covenant with people. That is, he makes like your mom and dad are married. He makes an agreement on the basis of his son and brings your family into blessing. He brings your whole household into his grace. And so you are covered in your household with this blessing. So kids, first off, let me say, since God calls you to worship, I say to you, give Christ Jesus your heart. He's the only one who can take away your sin. He is the only one who can cause you to stand righteous and holy and good before God, just like you see your mommy and daddy's sin so too, you have a covering for your sin in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is yours now, if you trust in him, if you love him, not later, sometime later, it is, it is now. There's great blessings. Se- second point that I have for you kids is strive for pleasing obedience. So hear me, boys and girls. The living God gives you a way that you can please him, make him smile as it were. And so your duty is to run in obedience, to really hard work towards this end, knowing that this is good and pleasing in God's sight. If you're wondering what that's supposed to look like, all you have to do is look at mom and how she listens to dad. She is a model for what obedience should be looked like in your home, since she too is supposed to obey him. But you also should know that there's nothing better than being a child of God, being in relationship with him. This is where happiness is found, since he is the king of heaven and earth, 
And all those who live here will only live on the earth under his rule, under his kingship. So you should make obedience your highest goal above whatever else you're doing, schooling or whatever else. If you're playing basketball or doing some sort of sports or 4-H or something like that, your higher goal is obedience to mom and dad because you know this pleases God. Not whether or not you hit a three-point shot or you are learning how to dribble a ball or or whatever. Your highest goal in life ought to be pleasing your mom and dad because that pleases God. And so you have favorite words. I'm telling you what they are right now. Favorite words are, yes, mommy? Yes, daddy. Your favorite words are, yes, mommy? Yes, daddy. And the apostle says, kids, obey your parents, for this is right. You think that's self-explanatory, right? Is this easy? Okay, of course it's right. But this just tells us that this means it's like a law for us. It's, it's, it's our righteousness. How can you live a righteous life as a child in the home? Obeying mommy and daddy. That's, that's the key. That's what it looks like to be righteous. If you've seen Pilgrim's Progress, my kids love the books and <laughs> a book. And they also saw the film recently, which is a little bit more scary than, than I expected. And maybe we won't watch it again because Freddie had nightmares. But... <laughs> He says he didn't have nightmares. Well, anyways, moving on. The good and beautiful path. There's a straight path that's hard, but it's a good path. It's the beautiful path. Not the one that's easy to the right or to the left, but the, the narrow and straight way, the beautiful path is through this gate. It's, it's through the door of obedience, knowing that I am doing this not just for mom and dad, but for the Lord. This is where freedom is found. This is where liberty is found. For some of you older kids who maybe understand that term, it is not <clears throat> slavery. It's not like being in a fork factory. It's like being in a glorious kingdom. Now, for some of you older kids especially, I'm thinking of the other kids because you're older, and and Henry, and Owen, and Ashton. Um, as you're a little bit older, <clears throat> Ask yourself, how many of those around you, your friends or acquaintances, would turn your heart away from obedience to your parents? How many of you can think of people right now, if I ask this question, who speak badly about their mom and dad at school? They get around and one thing that they constantly talk about is complaining all all sorts about how much their parents make them do and how bad. They don't have anything nice to say about Mommy and daddy, let me be very honest with you. They're fools. They are fools. You should rebuke them for their silliness. And secondly, if they don't listen to you, you shouldn't hang out with them unless you too would be turned away from the living God and be a fool like them. You do not dishonor the Lord that way. You realize kids who do that, That was my childhood experience at school. Maybe it's not yours. But you realize that those sorts of kids really are are seeking to destroy you. They want you to rebel against your parents and against God, to hate everything that your father and mother has done. We have a whole society like this today. Learn now that the right and the good way to go is to listen to your parents. You do not want to serve a false god. I don't know if you know this, but everybody serves a God. Everybody, every single person. It's just whether they serve the living God or probably themselves or some other bad ideas. But if you worship and serve a different God other than your parents' God, you will serve an idol that is not able to save you. There's no salvation for those who worship themselves and their pleasure and who do what they want. There's only salvation in the God who commands you to do what your parents have said. And this is the one who overcame death. He is the one who came out of the grave and he has promises for you. His words are not hard in that 
there's no benefit. Those who want to follow God as kids and obey mom and dad have ample blessing. That's, that's what your life is in God, is all blessing, even when it's hard. <clears throat> Children, I don't know if you know this, <clears throat> but in every culture, almost every culture, kids obey their parents and are expected to, whether or not they are in a Christian culture. And it's amazing that God wants to say, not just because it's expected of you in the culture, are you supposed to obey your mom and dad, but rather because this is something God commands. Not because your parents are stronger, Freddie, nor because you are fed by your parents, nor because they just can make you do what they want you to do, but rather because God has established in creation and in his word that this is the good way for you to live. It is a law to you. It's like your rules at home, you may not be able to jump on the couch. You should also consider this as God's rule in your home. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul gives you a word from Scripture. He gives you God's word. It's a word that cannot fail. It's a word that cannot be made, uh, cannot be overturned. God's word, which commands us, is completely sure. It's like, it's like a mountain that cannot be moved. And it's the basis on which we will stand before God one day and answer to him. Now, <clears throat> in quoting scripture, you, you saw Paul says, obey your mom and dad. But then when he quotes the scripture, it says a different word. Did you hear that? He says, listen to this, kids. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes scripture and says, honor your father and mother. Obedience is the simple implication of honor. It, it may, honor, part of it is to obey. That's the simple understanding. And little kids, very little kids, Elias can understand obey mommy and daddy. Right, Elias? And so little kids can understand this, but they also should understand, you kids should understand that honor means more than just, just obedience. Honor means that obedience is your main task, but honor means that God has set your parents in a position of honor. He has made them like a governor over your household or like a general who deserves a salute. Can you kids do this for me? This, this should be what you do to mom and dad right here. Salute. If you're in a military family and they held you to that. But nonetheless, we're supposed to respect our parents in that same sort of way. When they come into your room or you come, you're in the family room together, there is a certain way that you're to think and feel about them. It's not good enough from God's perspective just to do what they say. Rather, God desires and has commanded you to give your heart to them, to give your, your soul to them, to entrust to them everything inside that they can't see so that your mind would be guided by your parents and your heart as they follow the Lord. First application question for you kids. Think about this one. Are you obeying, think about your, your weeks. Are you obeying just because you have to? That's not what God's commanding you here. Yes, mom. <laughs> That's not what God's called you to. He has something better for you. It is respectful, honoring of your parents and it is, I don't know if you've considered this. I'd thought about this. This is, this is mind-blowing. It's God's glorious wisdom who has given you your parents and not me. 
who has given you your parents in the way that he made them so that they, they would rule in your home and they would instruct you. This is actually the way that you're able to come and to praise God is, is God has given you Elias Falcon. He's given you your parents, not other parents. Kaler's, he's given you Jared and Natalia. And he's done that purposely for a reason. This is a good thing from God. This is something that you can say, I not only respect my dad and mom, but the parents that God has given me. These ones. Secondly, kids, another application question is, how is your attitude towards your parents? is Is your attitude good towards mom and dad? Amen. Yes. Good. Think about very often when you're with your mom and dad, how is your attitude? Is it good? Is it bad, Kenzie? Is it right? Is it submissive and respectful? There's a way to prepare yourself to obey and to be ready to hear what your parents have to say and to do it. That is a heart attitude. That's something that you bring into every conversation. When you're in interactions, you should prepare yourself and say, I'm ready to obey mom and dad. I'm ready to listen to them despite all of their failings. <clears throat> God tells us that this is how we are supposed to be. I prayed from Proverbs chapter four today. Parents, you might walk through this with your kids or grandparents to your grandchildren. This would be very helpful for them as well. The Proverbs tell us to, to think about our, our children. Make sure you're tuning in. I know this is a longer section. <laughs> but your parents' words should be like buried treasure to you. It should be like gold or, for my kids, Legos. Or maybe for you, a specific... TV show or something like that. The Proverbs tell you to think about what your parents have to say and what they do before you, like, like, a, like a crown that goes on your head that a king wears or a really nice necklace for some of you girls or maybe <clears throat> things that you wear on your wrist. Um, if Josiah was here, I'd probably poke at him and his his. Uh, the little things you put in your crocs, croc charms, whatever you call those things, something precious to you. Children are to think about your parents' instruction in this way because if you do, because your parents follow the Lord, they're going to get lots of things right and you will be one day an honorable, worthy, noble person. You'll be a king and a queen someday. You'll be worthy of, dis- of respect and, and honor. Whereas if you today and in your life practice disobedience, not honoring your mom and dad, whether specifically or even in your heart, and you cultivate that sort of folly, you will become a shameful person. You will have a life that's not worth living. You will come into all sorts of misery and maybe destruction. Your parents command you for your good and for God's glory. And it is to your everlasting benefit that you today listen with all your heart. Now, the last part that I'm super excited about, this is the best part. So Ashton, I don't know how much you've heard, but this is the best part. No doubt. God here says, honor your father and mother, And Paul makes sure to say, this is the first commandment with a promise. And he quotes it for you. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This should be striking to especially you parents who grew up in in dispensational settings. Because here God attaches a command of promise which all of us can bank on, and it's a very physical command. It's a long time in the earth. 
There's, there's no other way to read that. Now, it does get fulfilled ultimately in the new heavens and new earth. However, this is a pr- physical promise for you to take home. This is a blessing. God's strength cannot be measured, can it? Can we, can we say God's only this strong? No, no, God is almighty. And God's plans never change. And so, is it not the case that Jesus came because of really, 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 really old promises. There was a promise made to Adam and Eve in the garden that the snake, what would happen to the snake, Freddie? His head would be crushed. That's right. Yep. It would be crushed. And the ultimate fulfillment is in Christ Jesus. That's a promise that's really, really old. God never fails to bring about his promises for you. God will go 150 generations and remind all of his people in those generations, this is my promise. This is my promise. Don't forget. I know you're going to die and they're going to die. But your kids, kids, kids will see the fulfillment of this promise. God never fails. The same is true here. This promise is for you today. This is for you for the rest of your life. This promise is one that you will be able to see the end of. In fact, you'll be able to count lots of days in your life if you obey this promise. If, well, let me ask a few questions so that you can really grab hold of this. In light of what I just said, and I know you know scripture at least a little bit, is God able, is anybody able to cause God to fail to, to accomplish his promises? Will God forget his promises? Thank you. Nice and loud. Will someone really powerful like the devil be able to stop God from accomplishing his promises? So the Bible says, if you love Christ, if you love God, and you show that by obeying your parents, and you set your heart on that, you will live long in this place called the earth. God will fill up your years with plenty of days, and he will give you numerous blessings that are uncountable. Paul, parents, takes a promise which is directly quoted in the Septuagint in Deuteronomy 5, though obviously it's part of the Ten Commandments. He directly takes this promise to Israel that has a little land of Israel in focus and says, and it's the same exact thing for you little Ephesian boys and girls. It's not different. It's expanded. It's grown. Psalm 37 says that the righteous will inherit the earth. Same thing that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the promise that we will inherit the earth and the wicked will be wiped out. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And it doesn't start sometime in the future. It starts now. And it starts in your homes by you kids saying, I love Jesus and I I want to obey him by obeying my parents. And that's where you will see many, many blessings flow to you. Now, the last thing is, this is a great thing to understand about God too. Because when, if you think about a master and a servant, you think about that relationship, if the master says, hey, do this, should you get rewarded for doing that? No, you're just supposed to anyways, right? But the kind of God your mom and dad and you serve is the kind of God who says, yeah, I know I commanded you to do that and you must do it anyways, but I want to bless you. I actually want to give you things even though you don't deserve it. I love to make my goodness abound. I love for you to enjoy life with me. I will lavish on you. All sorts of blessing. I want you to delight. I love your delight. Delight in what I give to you. 
Obedience to me wins blessing because of my grace. God is the kind of God who bestows on all of his children thousands upon thousands upon millions and billions of blessings. Not because we've deserved any of it, but also in relation to what we do. God is tied blessing to us actually doing what he said. So we can have healthy marriages, as we've talked about, by obeying God's commands. There's a, a practical blessing that happens. It doesn't suck to be married to your spouse. It actually is wonderful and upbuilding and growing. There's a specific blessing tied to obeying God in this way. Same way as there is kids. If, if you serve false gods, your miseries will multiply. If you serve the true living and, uh, the living and true God, just as... Peter prays, may all grace abound to you. May it be multiplied to you. And so kids and parents, let us have a church culture that is embracing of our children since they are in all likelihood whom God has put in our families so as to be saved. And let us have um, a special place for them here, just as Jesus proved to us and showed to us. And kids, as you think about your home, it's, it's, your home is supposed to be like, not like a fork factory where you work hard all day and you cut metal and that's all you do. You're really tired and you eat terrible soup that it tastes good because your life is so hard and bad. No, your, your household, you actually contribute to whether or not it feels like the kingdom of God. You can make your house, along with your parents, feel like what heaven's going to feel like for eternity. You can participate in a life that experiences real blessings that, in one sense, are closer to the celestial city that Pastor Ed talked about and less like the fork factory. And this is what I desire for you. This is what I desire for us. Let us create a culture where God is glorified in all things and we are his blessed people. Let us pray.